Hello everybody and welcome to the 60th episode of the Alien vs. Predator Galaxy podcast. This is your regular host, Corporal Hicks, or Aaron Percival in the real world, and joining me today is regular cohort, Rich Top. Hello again everyone. And our 60th episode is also going to be our last one of the year, and it coincides with the 10th anniversary of Alien vs. Predator Requiem, which is actually quite nice because you know I like doing AVP episodes at the end of the year. Because despite the website's name, there's not a great deal of AVP material. So I always like to cover something at the end of the year. So with it being the 10th anniversary of Requiem, I thought it'd be a good idea to uh, do a podcast about the film. But rather than uh, a round table like, like we would have done, we managed to fluff our way into having a chat with somebody who actually worked on the film. So I'm um, welcoming Liam O'Donnell to the episode. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Those who don't know, I uh, I was on the Alien vs. Predator Galaxy boards back in the day during the making of the film. And that, my name was Krom. So here I am returning. So the secret identity is finally revealed. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to be chatting about pretty much uh, Liam's experience on the film, pitting him a load of questions, and um, you know, hopefully hearing some cool stories about the, the production and getting some answers to those uh, those questions you want to know who's responsible for some of the stuff that might make you uh, might have made you uh, get angry. <laughs> yeah. The guilty hey, I, st- I still tried out the guilty parties. I still stand by that movie. Interesting. Okay. Great. You see, when it was just going to be a round table, uh, Ridgetop was going to be the one that was going to lead it because he is a uh, unabashed lover of both AVPs and pretty much anything that's followed the aesthetics of the film. So uh, cool. he was not going to miss up on this one, were you? No, definitely not. <laughs> right, well, first things first then. Liam, I just want to thank you for taking the time to uh, you know come and join us today and talk about your experiences on the film and on Skyline as well, because uh, not only did you work on Requiem, you worked on Skyline, and you're also the main man behind the, the new one, Beyond Skyline. But before we start nerding out, I was hoping you could just give us a little background on yourself for our listeners, you know, who are you and what do you do? Well, yeah, like, I'd say working backwards, um, now I just directed my first film, Beyond Skyline, which is uh, coming out this December. Before that, and, and for the past 10 years, I've been uh, writing and producing for Hydraulics Visual Effects, Hydraulics Entertainment, working with Greg and Colin. Um, I wrote and produced uh, their last movie, Skyline. And then for AVPR was the first film project that I worked with them on, kind of developing the pitch with them before they went in to meet with Fox. And then just kind of being like their um, creative uh, kind of go-to consultant on on a lot of different things from, you know, soup to nuts on that whole movie. So uh, I had a front row seat and I kind of like to think of it as my film school because um, yeah, I went to school and did a couple of, uh, of, of courses and this stuff, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do till I got out here and, and started, you know, getting in and mixing it up. And, and that was like, uh, you know, I was 24 on the set of that movie it was uh it was definitely uh a dream come true at the time for sure and that was your first actual film right uh, yeah first first anything like that i had started i met with i met with them through friends and it was uh i'd started writing their director's treatments for, for their commercials and music videos you know we, we would get boards sent from from ad agencies and you kind of have to give them your uh, you know, artistic take on how you're going to do that. And then you just get sent songs from the record companies and you, that's a little bit more fun, a little bit more creative. You kind of pitch them, you know, what your vision for the, 
for the videos would be. So I would just sit and meet with them and we would, um, you know, just brainstorm ideas. And then I would be the one to write it down because they are running their own visual effects company and, and they would be, you know, in the process of directing other things that they'd already done. So it was just a real busy time. And uh, I kind of came in and a, a little bit of an apprenticeship. We have uh, something of a tradition on the podcast, and that's where we like to hear about the first time our guests came across the Alien or Predator franchises. Do you remember your first encounter? Absolutely. Um, I'll start with the Alien, but I think I saw Predator first, but it's a better story. But Alien, I saw like just a random um, – growing up in, in Massachusetts, there's like these two uh, VHS, channel, VHS channels like uh, VHF. Uh, it was like TV 37 would just have – you know, like matinees during the day. And so for whatever reason, my parents had just like let me watch this this movie during the day. And I, you know, the opening just drew me in. Um, but it was, you know, neutered to be on television. So a lot of the crazier shots were cut out. So I was very, you know, drawn into it and loved all of the design and stuff. But the scariest thing I remember as a kid was Ash because they they didn't cut that out. And so all of a sudden to see this guy bleeding milk when they were like five years old, really, really freaked me out. So, so that, that was my experience with Alien. Um, Predator was the first like R-rated v- movie that I ever saw. I saw that in first grade at a sleepover. I was already a massive Arnold fan. And I, you know, I, I like kind of manipulated a situation where I could sleep over a friend's house that I knew his parents let him watch R-rated <laughs> movies so that I could stay up late and watch Predator with him. And I was like, Dude, I thought it was the greatest movie I'd ever seen. Had you had much to do with the AVP as a concept before working on the film? You know, the, the comics or the games or anything? No, I hadn't. In fact, I... You know, because I was around the time that the first AVP came out, I wasn't like online following things that much. I was in college right that time, but I I, I knew about it. I was aware, um, you know, of the of the comics or anything, but I wasn't an avid reader or anything like that. But I do remember being at like a bar and seeing the first TV ads for AVP and being like, what the fuck? Where did this come from? And I thought it was, <laughs> I, I like raised my arms up and was like, yeah, like, you know, I, I, for, for, I was definitely just that layman who, you know, wasn't obsessively following it and all of a sudden just saw an ad on TV for like, you know, two, two of my favorite creatures fighting off and it had that pyramid shot. And I, I just remember that being like, where the hell did this movie come from? And uh, what are your thoughts on the films that came after yours? Did you enjoy Predators or Scott's prequel films? Yeah, I mean, uh, Predators, I, I've only seen once. I liked parts of it. Um, I, I, I still like some of uh, our Predator design work better than some of the stuff they went with on that. But it's a, it's a return to what the you know, aesthetic of the franchise should be as far as characters and approach. So I appreciated that. I mean, that that's really my big takeaway from rewatching AVPR last night for the first time in nine years is just like I, from the, the conception of it is what's so odd. Like it's just doesn't like having that kind of small town cast of characters with these creatures is just something I never would have come up with in a million years. I don't know why that was what they decided to go with. So when these movies are definitely a return to like, you know, 
the right genre, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I really enjoyed Prometheus, uh, especially the visuals. I'd actually would put that movie on when I was writing the script for Beyond Skyline and just you know what turn off the volume and just because it's such a beautiful looking movie obviously everyone has you know different complaints about the story but there's there's something i I think i almost like the look of prometheus better than alien covenant but i think alien covenant was a almost like a, a more complete movie but i don't know is that controversial how do people feel about covenant it's been divisive i'd say i i i didn't really get why people uh, were super negative about it. I can understand, you know, obviously the spores seem way more advanced than like the analog egg situation. So I, I understood those complaints, but I felt like if, put it this way, if I felt like if Alien Covenant was came out before Prometheus and that was the first one back, people would have been pretty psyched. For me personally, I actually really enjoyed the film up until the aliens were introduced. Ridgetop pretty much hates the thing. <laughs> So you like Prometheus better? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I I didn't think I would, but I preferred the uh, Prometheus to. Maybe Covenant. I should go back. I mean, both of them I enjoyed in the theater, and then like I, I remember I saw Prometheus opening night, and I I had a pretty good time with it, and then it was afterwards everyone talking and just picking, picking, picking apart, and then seeing the the backlash form online. Um, but I still was like, well, it, it's it's still one of the most like beautifully realized alien environments I've ever seen. You know that that planet is is seamless. So I took away a lot from it. I I, I enjoyed it. And then Alien Covenant, I just saw once, and I was still like, well, I had fun. So I I guess I'd, it'd be the same thing of, of revisiting and and kind of picking up on what what's rubbing everyone else the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, both of the films looked incredible. Um, yeah, you can never sure, say but... Ridley Scott film isn't pretty. Yeah, no. the the production design, the the planets that they had, you know, one was was this mountainous desert, and then the other was just this lush forest. Uh, no, it was really the something color, to look at. The color sure. scheme in Prometheus is more pleasing to me. Uh, I thought that was it's just a it's just such a beautiful movie to look at. Whereas Alien Covenant was was good, but I felt like it was almost like he was reacting to Prometheus trying to do something a little different instead of just embracing the same look. I, I do think it would have been stronger if it was just a, a straight-up Prometheus sequel, like like Scott had initially kind of alluded that, that they were going for. So, And we, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, too. I'm like sure. What, what would have <laughs> gone on with the studio that was there a compromise? So it's... Um, I wouldn't say I, I hate it, Hicks. I, I would just say <laughs> that... You, it, don't lie to me. Don't <laughs> you lie to me. It's say you hate it when it's like that fight at the end on the ship with the alien and the crane like it's so insane that those images like exist in a world you know where where we were 10 years ago talking on these message boards and to all of a sudden have that like you know 200 million dollar version of an alien movie is kind of insane mm, but you, you still want it to be good i mean <laughs> true true like yeah you know, ridley scott's films are gorgeous you know covenant and prometheus off visually amazing and you know i absolutely love that scott went and did this lush jungle you know there's only so many times he can do a barren landscape right but something a lot of people tend to forget is that scott was one cog in a machine of immensely talented people that made alien works so well and narrative and stories is not his thing And, and for me that that's when covenant lost me was when it shoehorned the alien in yeah i would have much preferred it as a you know straight up prometheus 2 neomorph film 
Yeah, the best the best scene in the movie is the is the the David on David, you know, that that one is just incredible for me. That that was the most exciting part of the film. So I'd rather just spend time with those people than than I get what you're saying, like uh, you know, yeah. try to make it about alien. It didn't didn't really even need to be there. Yeah, nah, and also that there's a weird editorial timing. I mean. I feel weird about criticizing uh, Ridley Scott, to be honest with you. But there was a weird editorial timing with the um, with that flashback, which is again an incredible scene. Incredible scene to see the you know him killing the gods, so to speak. But like I felt like maybe the timing of that was a little too soon because then it just tipped everything off. But levels. <laughs> well, that that was another example of the compromise because Fox didn't want that in the film at all. That he just fought until he got it. It's it's beautiful and it's so like you know kind of uh, just a crazy apocalyptic idea that I love that type of shit. So I I dug that, but I I felt like I would have liked it a little bit later in the story. That's all. So uh, getting back onto uh, Requiem. <laughs> I know. By the way, the only pull quotes from this whole interview will be from that point, and people will be like, "This shithead criticizes Ridley Scott." <laughs> so thanks, thanks, guys. <laughs> I apologize in advance. <laughs> so uh, you you were involved with Requiem from a fairly early, you know, fairly early on point, and you were involved in a creative capacity pretty early on. So could you just tell our listeners a little bit about how you got involved with AVPR and your responsibilities on its production? I mean, you, you credited as, what was it, uh, special effects? It's a, it's a creative consultant role, which is n- not inaccurate. So, okay, so at that time I was writing their treatments, like I, like I said earlier, and we got um, an early draft of the script, you know, because Hydraulics is a visual effects company, Fox had sent it out to get bids. For the effects. Yeah, to, to bid the visual effects. So yeah. we got a little bit of a head start, and we read it, and we're kind of uh, talking about ideas, and obviously, you know, huge fans of Alien vs. Predator. But, I mean, I think that my initial gut response, and I think it's the same thing I was saying earlier, is just, I didn't understand the concept. It didn't, and, and watching the movie again for the first time, Nine years later, like I, it, it wasn't very well planned as a sequel to the first one, which we had a lot of trouble on that opening, having that sort of make sense in our heads because initially the draft was like it all happened really fast. The pred alien before and at the end of the first AVP, like Earth is very clearly farther in the background, and when when the chestburster comes up, and it was just like immediately going to grow to full size, kill a bunch of predators, and crash land. And that didn't make sense to us, but so there, there was a, there's all the, all this kind of um, the problems that I think still exist in the movie were, were kind of right there from the beginning. Um, and I actually went to Greg and pitched him like, well, maybe we should pitch a different idea. Maybe we should do a, my version was like a fire in the sky sort of thing where you'd have humans getting abducted into these kind of predator ships and uh, when you when you get abducted, all of a sudden an alien egg opens up in front of you and you get turned into aliens and, and you're in like this kind of training environment for predators, which, you know, it's similar to what um, just different things within the comics and stuff like that. Right. And he was like, yeah, I mean, that's that's cool, but it also sounds really expensive. And they'd been, you know, I'm 24. They'd been in this this Hollywood game for a while where they continually come in on these projects 
and done that sort of like, here's a page one rewrite pitch instead of trying to work within what the pitch was. And, you know, they had been doing that since like around 2001 and they hadn't gotten anything, obviously. And he's like, yeah, I just think we have to work within what this pitch is and try to make the best version of this pitch. So that was what we, you know, put put a lot of work into in the beginning. And then I kind of, uh, I, I would sit with them like anything else and get all their notes and, and, and brainstorm. And then I would write stuff and bring it to them and, you know, try to try to work within the parameters of what the uh, the script was and, and, and make the best version of it that we could. And I remember with the unrated cut, they, they changed the beginning to try and make it make sense more with with the original film so i watched the unrated cut last night and that had the uh that had the 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 ship going to a different place now on the theatrical it just goes right down right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay see we had like (laughs) so many arguments back and forth with the studio about just that shot and it's not even that complicated in the unrated like it's fine but it's just like i said it's not it's not like a well-planned sequel if if you were going to end the first movie on it and they, the first movie was only a few years earlier just seems like they should have had something as a studio i'm saying they should have had a sequel sort of more thought out i think before, before from the first one on you know you mentioned that Fox had sent the, you know, Salerno's first script out for pitching for the effects companies, but this was before they had anybody attached to actually direct it. Is, is, is that usual? No, it's not usual, but I think they're just trying to get, you know, to get as much information as they could and, and figure out if it was if it was going to move forward. It was around the same time as um, as the Ain't It Cool News um, script review. <laughs> that's, that's my next question, actually. I can't exactly remember... When okay yeah it, it, when what the timing was if we had read it or before or after it might have been right when we were doing our pitch document that came out and I just remember being like it, there it wasn't wrong you know he, he you know I I've since gotten to know Drew uh, McQueenie pretty well and he's a he's a smart guy and obviously a, a fan of of movies. But that was kind of a, a different phase of what uh, online journalism was with the, you know, just kind of doing those script reviews and of a movie that hadn't been finished yet, which you don't see that anymore. And for good reason. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it could be, it could be unfair. And it was a little unfair because it's an unfinished thing. And, and, and I would, uh, <laughs> it almost was like a specter haunting me, to be honest with you, because I would like... We work so hard on trying to make the you know make it better, and then I remember I'd it'd be like a late one night, and I'd, I'd I would read it again, and I'd be like ah, still basically you know the same things, you know there's just not much you could get away from of what that central concept was as much as uh, we tried. Chain Salerno's draft, you know, it it did cause something of an uproar when. Ain't It Cool News posted the review. It's it's actually out there now for others to read, and I reread it recently um, as part of prep for this. And it's not exactly a fantastic experience. Now, which draft was? Because uh, there there's obviously different um, versions. The one that's out now is the Pred Alien Dead on like page four. Yeah, it's Salerno's first one. Okay, so yeah, that that was the one that we got too. There was like maybe a, a few things different from it, but that just right away. My first reaction was like, why would you kill the Pred Alien in the first four pages? That that made no sense. And then the the other stuff was, was I mean, I, I kind of already, I, I did say like I, my first reaction was, 
okay, this this wolf idea is cool, and having seen it, the movie again, he's he's obviously the best thing in the movie. He's the best part of the movie, and some of the animatronic work, particularly in the crashed ship kind of CSI scene, his face looks fantastic in that. They, the ADI did a great job on his face there. And, and in the hive scene is another highlight to me. I think that's a fun scene. But that that was a kind of a cool kernel that um, that we, you know, obviously liked and tried to to, to beef up even more and beef up that character. Um, but my, my main reaction to reading it also on that version was the ending was very abrupt and I, it, was, yeah. it was very strange. And like everybody survived up until everybody died. I don't know if that if that was in the one you guys read, but like there's literally like 12 people that got into the helicopter, including the little girl. And then she looks out the window and a nuke kills them all. Mm, it just just ends on the bomb, doesn't it? Yeah. And I was like, OK, well, that that's that's an odd experience. Um, <laughs> and originally i really the first kind of cool idea i felt like i got from it was to have the predator you know punt because he kind of just i don't think he, he even made an appearance on the rooftop in the ending of that one the rooftop was a, wasn't even really a set piece and so i was like it'd be great to have him you know use that that super punch thing and burst through the rooftop and he's just surrounded by aliens and he's stabbing them but like all the acid is 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 hitting his body and he's just like sort of melting away but you kind of as the helicopter pulls off you see him like in the middle of this maw just being ripped apart and, and him stabbing and he's melting and, and that that would be your end image of him because we didn't have the, the pred alien wasn't in the ending yeah. but that was like the first image of like okay there, there's there, there's something you could do here with this predator that could be cool and that that was really you know the, the the most redeeming quality about the the script and i think the the film itself it was like okay well, there, there, there there's a thread here that we need to uh to beef up and, and and have some fun with but again by the very nature of the movie that there's only really one predator for most of the movie it, it's it's going to be you know a, a one-sided sort of affair which in uh, him just kind of beating down aliens it it, it doesn't it, it has its limits we kind of touched on this earlier, but were you aware of specifically any other directions that were explored for the film? Uh, one of the reports that came out was that uh, Shalerno had originally pitched a story revolving around a predator ship crashing in Afghanistan, and the film would have been around like a special forces unit with that. That, that sounds familiar. I remember hearing the brother say something like that. Fox like told Silero not to tell them that he had done that because they, that, I mean that, and it's so sad when I, when I read that, because that's exactly like the type of movie Greg and Colin should have made. That's the type of movie that, that they, I think like wanted to make more than anything. And it would have been you know, a much better fit all around for the franchise, obviously. And then, you know, for, for them just as people and as directors, I think that would have just been, uh, so much better than this this small town slice of life stuff. But no, we I, I think I just remember hearing kind of anecdotally about that, but it was never kind of a serious consideration at that point. What's kind of interesting is is there was a DVD set that came out with the home release of Requiem that included a comic called Soundtrap, and and that was kind of the premise of that comic. That makes way more sense, you know. And and, and it, it again, like you know, if you go back to the first film in each franchise you have kind of the truck drivers in space blue collar people 
but they're also, you know, pretty hard edged and, and badass. And then you actually have predators, which is a straight up team of mercenaries. And of course, aliens, a, a straight up team of, uh, of, of military badasses. It's like, there's some of that is just inherent into the DNA. Uh, and we, we tried to get as much as we could, but it was just, uh, that, that idea of like, in, in, of these different groups all coming together that, that it's kind of a disaster movie structure, isn't it? There there's elements of it that could have worked and I think could have worked better, but I just don't, I, I, from the very top, I seriously just don't understand why they picked that as the direction that that's kind of the thing that I, I kept coming back to when I watched it again. And you, you helped the, the Strauss brothers with their pitch to Fox to get the directorial job. I was hoping you could dish the details on that meeting. Well, I wasn't in the meeting. I, I, I like literally like um, I, when I moved out here, I moved out here with Matthew Santoro, who is in the behind the scenes of this disc, I think quite a bit because he ended up doing the Predator voice. Uh, he did a lot of the um, PV stuff. And so we were roommates and best friends and he would do a lot of like the, um, the visuals for the pitch, you know, like the, the, the Predator on the rooftop and the wolf, the idea of the wolf, like as I think even as like having a, 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 a burnt eye and all that stuff. Uh, I'm not 100% sure if he came up with that originally or ADI did, but I know he definitely had some input. So we would make he would be doing the visuals and I would be kind of writing everybody's notes. I'd be writing, you know, my version of the pitch and then Greg and Colin would give me notes and I'd be rewriting it. And we'd be like watching aliens at hydraulics, like pulling all nighters to, to get this thing into shape. And then uh, the next day the meeting would get pushed. So then we would like just kept doing that for almost like a month. So we had a really good presentation by the time that they went in. And they, you know, were such huge fans of, of the stuff themselves that I think it was just like we we just kind of out, out hustled everybody else. What do you think the main selling points of that pitch were for for Fox? I think it was again we had such an abundance of visual styles and references. We were really going with um, the, the it was definitely like a sort of seven look in the pitch like it was this is going to be nighttime it's going to be rainy it's going to be texas chainsaw massacre that was like it was a very gritty kind of hardcore pitch which went with what you'd see from their kind of earlier short films and music videos right like that was they had uh that sort of um early 2000s fight club thing going on so that was kind of the pitch that that we went in with were there any particular sort of visuals that went in with it as well so like for example um paul anderson you know he talked a lot about his um his pitch being the main reason he got the job for his film as well and it was all these concept arts that he took in with him you know this the whole flashback thing with the pyramid and the predator stood on top of it and that being like a you know a huge part of, of, of his of his pitch with it were there any sort of sequences like that with you guys yeah, I think I think, and I I they exist somewhere. Um, it's unfortunately my laptop just got stolen. That had oh no, I have it backed up. There's definitely a couple that come back there. A lot of it would be the um, the hospital rooftop. We had um, that image of like the predator, you know, covered in predator blood, kind of taking on aliens was was uh, definitely a showpiece. Um, the wolf himself was was part of it. And 
I think just a lot of the aesthetics that we we kind of put together and what the town was going to look and feel like were, were pretty cool. But um, yeah, I could dig that up for you guys. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Thank you. Um, as you were involved from such an early stage, I was hoping you might be able to shed a light on some of the changes between that Ain't It Cool News script and the finished film. Uh, like you said, the Pred alien was, was originally killed during the opening scenes, but became the primary alien antagonist in the finished film. Uh, so how exactly did that change come about? Well, for us, it just, you know, we, we knew, and, and also when once we met with ADI, I remember t- them saying the same thing, was that like, Hey, we they, they they go to these horror conventions all over the country, and everybody just asks about the Pred Alien. You know, we knew that that was kind of going to be the main draw of the film, so it, it didn't make any sense to on, on page four. And it also solved what we felt was a bit of an issue in that draft, was that the regular aliens were the ones going into the hospital and impregnating the women. And we just, that, that so that idea was already in um, the draft that we got. I'm not sure if that's in the Salerno draft that you guys read. I don't remember it being in there. They just seem to be magical facehuggers appearing. No. So the actual tongue, the second tongue of the aliens in, in the draft we got went into the pregnant women's mouth and impregnated them. And we were just like, well, that doesn't really make any sense because, you know, we have at that point five alien movies in it. We've never seen that happen, but you know, there's there's obviously some shocking, horrific, you know, things that happened because of it, and the, and Fox actually loved it. They loved that idea of the the pregnant women getting the, their stomach ripped open, so they wanted to keep it. And so for us, that that's how that we decided. You know, okay, well, at least the pred aliens never been seen before. So if you guys really want to do this scene, let's use the new creature to do that. And that was a, as about as an elegant a solution as we could uh, come up with. Yeah, I remember a, a number of fan theories uh, regarding that. And then I think Colin eventually said uh, his idea was that it was a juvenile queen and this was how she would quickly es- establish a hive as, as she was molting or something like that. That's a very good answer. Um, but th- it really was just that we, you know, that, that, that this existed. And for us, we were like, that's just a total continuity break. You know, at least with the Pred Alien, it's from a different DNA source and you know we, we don't really know anything about the way predators reproduce uh, at least on screen so let's go with this I was going to say that was another one um, either Colin or Greg threw up I can't remember who it was was the being a predator influence thing well yeah I mean because it's just kind of like the the simplest solution for for what we had and I'm, I'm sure they thought about it even more than I did but I just remember that that was like Okay, I remember, you know, you said what the experience of reading that that script was. I was like, okay, this is cool, but why hasn't the alien ever done this before? You know, there's been so many different scenes with the second tongue. You know, I guess I, I can't remember if there's been any pregnant women in any alien movies before. I don't nah. think necessarily. Yeah, yours was the first. Right, but it was still just, it, it was stuff like that, that like, okay, you know, we're boxed in this way, but what's the, what's the best way to, you know, to solve this? And then... The other big changes from that draft, I'd say, would just be more the third act. The stuff like the hive scene, um, stuff like uh, the rooftop sequence that was very short. It wasn't really like much of a set piece. Um, the helicopter crash, the military, the ending with um, with Miss Yutani. That was all stuff that we kind of brought to it. 
uh, on the Predalien as well, some of the scenes were filmed that showed it having more of the Predator traits that was, you know, like the skin bodies and how it ripped out a, a spine. Uh, do you remember, like, who specifically spoke up and was like, this might be pushing it a little too far? Yeah, it was that was one of those things that um, we got a draft back and all of a sudden the Predalien could um, just had the ammo ability. And we were like, whoa, what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, the, the Predalien can, can you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Cloak. Cloak, yeah. The, the, the Predalien can cloak. And we're like, well, that's like saying, you know, that like humans could all of a sudden have like a, a cell phone ability. You know, like it's a, <laughs> it's a piece of technology. It doesn't make any sense that that would be part of its DNA. Like we clearly see the cloaking device's tech. Um, so those were like some of the like, like, like I said, like making a, a movie is really hard. Making a good movie is next to impossible. And you're sitting there arguing about like things like that is, is when it, it, there's so many other bigger issues that we should have been attacking and we're getting in fights over, you know, whether or not a pred alien can inherit technology in it's uh, second generation. So that, that was definitely, um, the studio wanted him to be really, really predator. Like he could do all this crazy stuff. Just, there's a lot of like, a there was a lot of just like, you know, this is the sixth movie and we need stuff you've never seen before. We need stuff you've never seen before. And so you get that push and pull of like, you know, trying to trying to do something new and put a new twist on it, um, but also just fans having a certain expectation that it's going to fall in line with the canon that they all know and love. So, yeah, there's the there's definitely the skinned aliens, uh, the skinned predators in that uh, crash ship scene, um, which looked pretty cool on the set. That that was a that was a neat small little set that they built up in Vancouver. Um, but you can't really see them in the scene. They, they, they kind of cut around it. And, and, it, and it doesn't really entirely make much sense, though. The earlier draft that I read also included a dog that got chest-bursted. And I think that the behind-the-scenes book that ADI put out may have mentioned other animals acting as hosts. Was the possibility of other hybrids ever really discussed, or was that a case of no, no budget for that, move on? Uh, definitely a no, no budget for that. Move on. Um, we were given a couple of different light items of things we could afford. And, you know, we, we, we definitely put money into designing the wolf from the ground up and getting away from the first AVP's predator designs. And then we had to design a completely new creature for the pred alien, which it just left no money to really do any changes for the alien. So the alien was the same ADI design from AVP and uh, so there was just definitely no money on on some on, on doing anything else I don't even remember if the I guess maybe technically the dead dog is supposed to be in the sewer but yeah I just think it just became an idea just leave it yeah that, that that's that's when it when it was the um, they just got into the sewer and this dog trots up to them and just explodes. I think I think I remember something like that. It was just like, yeah. Well, then then you'd have to have another type of alien, which would have been great. I remember ADI pitched a bunch of different ideas like that because obviously, you know, they want to build cool new creatures. They were like, what about cows? What about everything else? And um, you know, we were all for it, but it was uh, that was just not realistic. Yeah, that's fair enough. So let's talk about uh, some of those infamous scenes in Requiem. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> 
there's the one uh, from the uh, I think it was from the very first trailer uh, where Wolf holds the two aliens up in the sewer, one in each arm. They're snapping away. I understand that was a uh, last-minute addition that was made on set, in, what a couple of days, couple of days before they actually shoot, shot that scene. So, could yes. you tell us a little bit about that? And you, do you feel guilty? I, I uh, <laughs> no, it, it did make a really cool sideshow collectible, so I'm, I don't feel totally guilty. It's a great sideshow, and and that sideshow is exactly what I imagined it was going to be. I don't think the scene is a hundred percent what you know that that could have implied. But here's here's what it was like, and this was this kind of give you a good idea of what my general responsibilities were on the movie. It was like you know we had spent a ton of time uh, mapping out the sewer set. Obviously, a good chunk of the movie takes place down there in the first fifty minutes or so, and so we had a we had a big map on it. It was the big kind of the biggest, most complicated set build because you have water and uh, and a ton of dress to do. And the there there was all these different kind of competing ideas that we were trying to do um, to show how smart the Predator was and how he was going to be kind of make them like fish in a barrel and do something to aliens that we'd never really seen anyone do before, like setting setting traps for them and killing them this way. Like this is a seasoned, seasoned Predator. And so we had a pretty cool cat and mouse version previs that um greg and colin were really happy with and uh joshua corda cordes who ended up co-writing skyline with me was the previs artist and he was in the trailer like greg and colin's trailer and so i would kind of be sitting with him and we'd be talking it out and he would be doing the previs for it and then greg and colin would come in and they'd make notes and then we'd send it to the studio for approval and so i think we're shooting like one of these diner scenes, um, it was probably like, you know, Dallas getting coffee or whatever. And we were set to shoot this, you know, the the sewer thing, I think, like in a day or two. And, and it came back that the studio, you know, rejected the previs that we all liked. And they're like, you know, the, the alien and the predator have to touch because the, the predator, he, he still kind of the first half was still right. Like he did the fish in the barrel and he shot them back into the wires and then... He was about to take out the last two, and he got hit from behind by the Pred Alien, and they got separated. And they're like, it needs a fight scene. We can't, um, you know, we can't just have this cat and mouse situation. So we really need to see them kind of go back and forth. And we're like, well, there's a problem because there's one Predator in the movie, and, like, you can't really wrestle with an alien because you're going to die. He's going to die. He's going to get... He's stabbed through the chest. You, you've made the tails like superhero weapons in the first AVP. So now, uh, what are we going to do about it? And they just said, you know, make something work. And so, you know, I, I remember sitting there in the trailer with Josh, and I kind of looked up at him, and I go, oh, I think every Alien fan will hate me, but the, I have a cool image in my head of him kind of coming out of the water with the with an alien in each arm. And so I acted it out and I pitched it to Greg and Colin and they thought it was cool and the studio liked it and then bam, it went in. Now watching it again last night, I just feel like there's a little something in the edit that could have been a little tightened or, uh, there that you know would have made it like more of a struggle and less uh, like just total dominating. Like he, he kind of dunks on the aliens pretty hard right there. <laughs> But again, no real regrets. Uh, it's it's it, it's still kind of one of the better parts of the movie, and um, and it made a great sideshow collectible. Yeah, I really like the image of that. I, I I think you're right, though. I think it just went on a little too long. Man, those studio executives, though, they always have the best ideas, don't they? 
Yeah, like, there's uh, <laughs> just right there at the end. I mean, look, there's some stuff that they came up with that I I would say is right, and like some of the things that we would argue about all the time. You know, it's always easy to fall into the trap of just, you know, blaming them and, and all this stuff. But some of the stuff that we spent so much time and energy arguing about, like that opening and the ship going back to Earth, back and forth, you know, watching it, like it just didn't really matter all that much. You know, like just get get into the movie and get it starting. So, you know, no one's right all the time. Um, it just was very frustrating to have to like, you know, do months of planning get thrown out the window uh, you know at the last second so it seems like there was a lot of creative oversight that uh colin and greg had to deal with from from the studio is that correct yes this is definitely a different fox this is um this is not the you know the the caesar's apes fox that we see nowadays which is you know making these amazing movies they were kind of notorious at the time for being you know really yeah, a lot of creative oversight and kind of trying to just make like sort of generic films at the time. I mean, there'd, there'd be the occasional great filmmaker that could get things through there, but they definitely had a reputation in that like early to mid 2000s. And it was also right before Marvel. So this, there is that like sort of sea change that happened within two years afterwards where there was this feeling over there that it was like they knew better than what the fans wanted the fans thought they wanted this but we're going to make stuff that's going to bring in a bigger mass audience and they these fans you can't listen to these idiots they don't know what they're talking about i mean that was literally kind of the vibe like they're like if we listen to any cool news like we you know we'd never make any money in our lives and stuff like that so there there was that vibe and then all of a sudden you know marvel came out and said well what if you just actually made what the fans that really love it you made that movie for them and then they're going to be so vocal about how great it is they're going to tell everybody else to see it that's that's one of the things about marvel that like you know maybe gets lost nowadays when people complain about oh another marvel movie but like they really kind of changed that approach and instead of the you know getting away from this like sort of arrogant don't listen to the people that are actually you know supporting you the most and to to like okay if you get the diehards on board they're going to be the most you know evangelical and they're going to you know support you and and tell everybody else to see it and that there's a reason why these things are such popular properties and have lasted for so long like you know you can't you know just make fan films but you have to kind of hit on what that core why that core idea like is popular and what people love about it if you don't kind of hit that pleasure center what's the point yeah agreed um and and one of the things that was changed from the original draft was that it was made clear that wolf was deliberately on earth to respond to the crash of the predator ship and clean up the mess uh except in in the final film he takes his time to skin one of the police characters leaving evidence of his presence so i was hoping you could talk a little about the thinking behind that this is another one that I'm sure like uh, Colin would have a very technical answer for it. But to me, I was just, I think it was like, you know, it, it, because the movie was what it was, we kind of, and we knew it wasn't what you, you guys wanted, you know, I knew, we knew it wasn't like, this is not what the, the movie, the fans are clamoring for. 
I think we got like, well, if we can put enough homages in it, you know, it'll at least be fun on some level. And I think that was one where the homage just gotten, you know, distracted from the story logic. Like you said, it was like, you know, we wanted to do the skin, the hanging skin body from the first Predator. And the logic that we kind of masked around it was like, well, he's there to, uh, you know, get rid of any evidence of the aliens. He's not necessarily worried about people finding out about him. Uh, it's all about like a, a tech cleanup and like proprietary information cleanup, which I guess is, is a very technical answer, but it just would have just been kind of simpler if he just stabbed him through the chest and uh, <laughs> d- disposed of his body. Although I do like their like the autopsy scene. I think that's a pretty that's one of the better scenes uh, dramatically in the movie. I do feel bad for John Ortiz's character in it because it is just like a series of him. Of, of emasculations for, for like a series of unfortunate emasculations of people being like, you don't know what you're doing. You're in over your head and him not having really an answer for it. Yeah. I, I always just kind of took it as the predator was just trying to distract the humans with, with something else. So they wouldn't be focused on the aliens if they had come across them. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it kind of works in that sense. And it's just like, but there's also a little bit of like, it feels like the movie just refuses to start. I mean, that that was the other takeaway that I saw from seeing it. It was like it feels like it's a two act movie, and the first act is up until around the fifty minute mark almost, and then all of a sudden it's just you know once that you're through that there's fun to be had, but it just feels like it keeps going back to what I would say are kind of first act scenes like Ricky and Jesse in the truck, even. Um, Kelly and uh, and and her daughter and talking about the monsters like that's at the 50 minute mark and they're like oh it's okay it's fine it's just like when is this invasion gonna start you know when it when is it gonna be just you know widespread chaos and um, that was another thing I I took away was like you have we had it built that the heroes of the movie I guess you would say D- Dallas and Ricky are in the sewer at the 30 minute mark that is infested with aliens and they find their keys and leave. And I was like, that's definitely a missed opportunity. Well, you, you got the creepy chest burster shot, right? I love that <laughs> shot. That's one of the better, better shots in the movie for sure. I mean, I like that, but I just, uh, just, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, just one of those things of, of, of having, you know, 10 years experience afterwards being like, man, really could have like, ki- this movie could have been kicking into gear if you had had them involved in the sewer sequence right then, you know, and then after that, it's like they're telling people they got to get out of here. There's something wrong. You get them thrown into the mix. Just get it. Get everything popping, you know. Mm-hmm. And something you just mentioned, um, going slightly back to the skin body, you said it would be a cool homage. Now, one of the things I personally have a problem with with this film and to some extent Predators and some of the late, later films is when you go a bit too overboard with homages. Absolutely. Particularly winds me up when it's dialogue. It makes me groan like a motherfucker when <laughs> when I get to the chopper and stuff like that. So with yeah. with ten years, you know, sort of experience looking back on it, do you think homages were necessarily a good idea for this film? Or was it really just a case of trying to make the best out of a shit story that was handed to you? <sighs> I'm more political, than that. <laughs> but yeah, I do think, 
Uh, yeah, get to the chopper definitely stood out as not uh, not great uh, when I watched it last night. It was like it, it's just it it, it, it was it, it's all kind of born out of a place of insecurity. I think in in the story in that there's some fun homages and I think there's a difference, right? And that that's like when it feels we all can feel it when an homage is like a, a nice little moment that you're like, aha, but it doesn't like you're saying dialogue that like, why would they have the same dialogue or names of characters? Like why is he named Dallas? Even uh, just other, other kind of little touches like that, that just, there's no reason to have it be so on the nose with that. But we were at one point, you know, we were trying to get Bill Paxton in it. We we're trying to get Michael Bean. We we're trying to do anything we could to, kind of connect it more because it felt so disconnected. Huh. Like we, we wanted Bill Paxson to be, um, the guy one we wanted, character, wasn't we it? wanted, what was it? The, uh, the guy in the, the airplane. Yeah. I, that was, I, I really wanted it to be Stephen Baldwin actually, not Stephen Baldwin, um, Adam. Yeah, Adam Baldwin from predator two. Cause I wanted it to be like, that's the same company from predator two that was involved with it. So I, I was pushing for Adam Baldwin. Um, well, that that would have been different, though, wouldn't it? That wouldn't necessarily have been a homage, more no, or less continuity. That would, been, that would have been continuity. That that I think actually would have been a cool idea, and it wasn't the money and whatever it, it scheduling didn't work. The the one that would have, and now seeing it last night, it was. I think it would have been uh, definitely on one of those too much. Was like, well, what if you get Bill Paxton to be the chef because he's been killed by a predator and he's been killed by an alien, but let's kill him with the pred alien. And, <laughs> and like, he's got no setup scene. It would have just been like one day. All of a sudden, you just come into the uh, to to the kitchen and he's just like, you can stay with me and my wife tonight. If uh, <laughs> like, it would have been funny, but um, you know, it it definitely would have been. Uh, it pulled you out, wouldn't it? Would have pulled pulled you out for sure, and then having like oh jeez, like getting his, his spine ripped out. Um, but yeah, that that was that was definitely one discussed. And then you know Michael Bean was one where like, well, what about the soldiers at the end? If Michael Bean's like one of the guys there, and that would have just been like that makes no sense. Uh, so <laughs> there, th- those were like kind of at the very last minute, just like different parts where we we definitely went. Yeah, we're we're searching for more homages to because uh, again the insecurity of like why is the, it just doesn't feel like an alien or predator movie and did you find yourself having to contribute to many last minute onset changes i gotta say it, not more or less than anything else than in it's it was more it would be more stuff in within you know because they're on set directing and they're giving the notes to the previs and, and we're working on that. So it'd be like, you know, the, 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 the rooftop sequence was the, the main things that we worked on Joshua and I would be the, the sewer sequence, um, the hive sequence and the rooftop sequence. Most of the other things like, and, and that's again, the irony of, of, of doing this movie and what was kind of sad is that they didn't get to direct like the alien and the predator fighting. It's like, this is my big break, and I I get to do an Alien vs. Predator movie, and they get stuck doing these kind of, like, slice-of-life 
small town characters and the second unit directors get to do all the alien predator fighting. The only scenes that they got to direct with the creatures is when, you know, a piece, uh, one of the cast was interacting with them, which isn't actually that much. So yeah, that, the, those were kind of the, the three things. And then towards the end, like we would just be, you know, Josh and I would be with the second unit during the, um, the pred alien predator fight. And, and that was a lot of fun. It was freezing freezing rain up there in, in Surrey, uh, British Columbia. But so it would be stuff like that. There wasn't as much of a dramatic kind of switch like like there was with that. But we were definitely like um, trying to figure out what the ending was going to be during the movie. You know, we, we had that end goal in mind, but even just like working on locations was tough. Like what, what you see, um, the Robert Joy character, where you see him in that plane, that's actually just the same striker tank with like plasma screens put into it because the set that they had, they gave our, our, our poor production designers so little money to, to build the set that it was like, you know, it, it was pathetic that what we had. So we were like, okay, what if we just tape some plasmas into the striker and we do it in a tight angle? It'll at least look kind of somewhat authentic. So yeah, it was a lot of just that, those kind of, you know, budget limitations and, and trying to come up with creative solutions. One of the things I kind of noticed uh, during the end rooftop sequence was when Dallas uh, shoots the alien warrior that's above him and then you see like the front half of the alien's face fly up towards the camera. Mm-hmm. I kind of took that as like a homage to the um, Terminator 2 3D attraction that that James Cameron directed. Was that like intentional or? Uh, yeah, I, that would be a Gregor Collin question for sure because I, I hadn't actually seen that at the time. I just saw that like a few years later. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, it's definitely possible because they they love Terminator 2 and, and James Cameron. There's some concept art by a fellow called Dark Hoffman, which showed a secret base with aliens and predators in stasis tubes. Uh, I'm assuming if it ever was toyed with in production, that was thrown out for budget. But was that something that was ever actually talked about? You know, it, I'm, it's, I'm thinking about it. it. It didn't sound completely familiar to me when you mentioned it earlier. You know, Dark obviously worked on the movie. I remember him. He's a really talented guy. It would probably have had to have been something, you know, at the end for the, um, that you, you know, the Miss Yutani scene, if you're going to do something of it there. But it may have been something that he was he was playing around with. I'm not 100% certain. But that, 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 that's the only place I could think where that would narratively make any sense. Unless it was like, because it's, 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 a, it's a human place. It's not like the ship with the face huggers and the... Uh... No, no, it, it was definitely a human looking base. If I remember yeah. rightly, it was some guys in hazmat suits as well. Yeah, okay. So that, yeah, that, that, was, that was definitely an alt idea for the ending. And that whole ending is just shot at, uh, at the hockey stadium in Vancouver. If you if you've ever been there, it's just like them they, all that concrete. You know, they did a really good job of masking it, but it's just like they're just walking up to like the the seats at a hockey stadium. Literally just watched the um, the film with the commentary on um, before we started chatting, and they talked about that in there, having to uh, work it around the you know the actual games and stuff as well. Yeah, it was just you know it was it was definitely a. Uh, a, a tight budget for what this kind of movie was and and had to come up with a lot of different solutions like that so out of all your time on the set you know in in pre and and production are there any memories that just really stick out to you is the you know stuff that we haven't necessarily talked about yet that you always look back on when you're thinking about this film 
The one I uh, it's actually I just saw someone had posted it online recently. It, it, it's the most vivid one was just we were we were on set filming the um, the face the first face hugger scene with uh, Buddy Benson, poor Buddy Benson and his son, <laughs> and which that that scene actually got a good laugh from me last night when that the fact that the 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 kid got hugged uh, face hugged when we were filming that scene. You know, ADI was. Um, off in their trailer and they're like you guys gotta come check this out come check this out and we we kind of rushed over to their trailer and all of a sudden you see like the three lasers kind of go up the leaves in front of us and, and i looked down and it was right on my chest and i just looked up and the predator is like standing right there and it's ian white you know almost eight feet tall in the wolf costume and it was just like fuck <laughs> so that that and i think that's all i say in the video too colin's just like whoa pretty fucking cool like we're just like <laughs> kind of fanboyed out there for a minute and that that's definitely the one that i always think about is like the biggest like you know pinch me moment of just getting to see like a real live predator walking towards you did you uh, did you nab anything have you got any props you know i had like a a I, I do have it somewhere. I, there was like um, a pretty cool Japanese toy of the Predalien that they sent us that I nabbed. Uh, but no, those guys took most of the props. They have the gun. They have like yeah, the pack. And Colin has the uh, the wolf helmet. Yeah, I know. I remember Sideshow did a few of those things. I, I got the, the wolf mask that they did, but they did the gun and, and a number of other things too, I think. I absolutely love that gun. The wolf mask is great. I, I like everything with the wolf. I still really like, and that that was my 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 biggest takeaway from it. I even like him in the uh, in in the hive, where, you know, grabbing the alien by the head and shooting it in the face. Like I, I think that's still there's still fun to be had there. There was a um, you know I never actually got around to watching it, but there was a fan cut of the film where they pretty much just removed all the humans and just had pretty much just wolf on his mission. Uh-huh. Supposedly pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> I, I would actually love to see that because I similar idea maybe flashed through my head last night. I was like, oh, I wonder what that would feel like. I'll have to see if I can dig it out for you. Yeah, that's pretty funny. He's definitely <laughs> the best character and uh, in the movie without a doubt. Oh god, yeah. I mean that that I think everything about Wolf in that just made up for the uh, the predators in the first one. Yeah, and that and it's hard to escape that too. Uh, that there was definitely that that reaction i was i you know looking back at the first avp comparatively you know man they really spent money on it you know all the complaints aside is that it's still kind of true to the genre of what those movies were you know it deals within the same world of like you know the characters are all either scientists or or badasses and you know they're kind of brought down there for a mystery, and um, you know the, the, there's it, it just feels so much more connected. You know, a Wayland is one of the characters. Um, you know, they have the Lance Hendrickson. Mm. So mm. They, you know, I remember at the time everyone was you know especially on AVP Galaxy was very negative about the first one, and hoping this one was going to you know right a bunch of the wrongs, but. You know, they spent a lot of money and a lot of time on that one. Like that, that alien predator fight is still just a much more satisfying piece of of stunt work than anything we got the opportunity to do. I've actually found to, I've mellowed out a lot to that film over the years, and yeah, can, can appreciate it a lot more. I mean, too, because I, I and I remember enjoying it in the theater. Um, 
until the team up and being all like, what, you know, and it, but now even it's like, it kind of makes narrative sense that they're going to team up right there. I'm sure there's a, there could have been a better way to do it. Or even just the, the Batman and Robin shot of them running down together, maybe, <laughs> maybe a different version of that. But like, you know, it makes sense as a movie all together, you know, where it goes and, and how it ends and it. And it has a little bit of, it's got a lot of homages, of course, as well, but it, it does do its own thing, and, and it has and it ends uh, on a pretty cool idea, a pretty cool note. So, yeah, I, I definitely um, I think that one's aged uh, a lot better. And how involved with, were you with the uh, the post production of the film? Uh, I was basically it'd just be you know the the same the same vibe of um, you know watch watch cuts and give notes. Um, and which was fairly long post-production because we were supposed to be in August release. And so we were really, you know, humming to get this thing done because we, we finished um, shooting, I think in November, it was mainly in October. And I think they, or I think they had to go back for like a day in December because to empty the pool, like just to do like that one shot with the empty pool because uh, they had to wait till school was out before they could empty the, the high school's <laughs> pool. Uh, and then, um, so then I, you know, they, they were, it, w- it would just be a lot of those like tiebreaker or just an opinion, just kind of like, what do you think? Um, but, um, you know, they, it was very much them and, and Dan Zimmerman, the editor, kind of going back and forth and stuff. And that was all at Hydraulic, so it was at my office anyway. In Nor- I think that was kind of the unique situation is that the edit bay was just all done at our facility, so we could um it was all under one house and we do a lot of notes i remember like the first cut was pretty long and the a cut that everyone was happy with was around two hours and that the biggest thing that's not in the movie anymore is the kendra and curtis storyline which i think seeing it is a it was a very good cut to because i honestly feel like you could do even one less uh human character storyline it's just just too many. And so imagine having an entirely other one there that, um, you know, what, what was cool about it was you, it was, do you guys, you guys know about that, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of been well, talked about that. The well whole, yeah. Her, her and her brother. And there was kind of a subplot there. Um, that kind of leads into the next question a little bit. Um, were there many scenes removed from the film that aren't too well known about and there's another one I remember from the trailers where you had Kelly on the mounted machine gun. That's a Kendra and Curtis scene. So Kendra and Curtis, it's like, it was just, I think it was like when we first go to the triage of the, um, the hospital and we, fir- we, we, we first kind of get there we just see these two kids and I don't know if their mom was working there or um, if their mom was supposed to pick them up or meet them there or something, but they're at the hospital. And they're told to stay put, and um, one of them kind of goes off. Uh, and then we kind of cut back to them once the Predalien's inside, and it, it was a little bit, not a little bit, it was definitely like, you know, the studio wanted to do a version of the, the raptors in Jurassic Park with these kids at a hospital. But, like, the raptors in Jurassic Park in, in, the, in the kitchen sequence, you know, that that's that was given a lot of time to shoot, you know, that wasn't like, okay, do the Jurassic park scene in a day. 
And you're like, okay, you know, we, you need time to craft something that intricate. And so it, it was like they fought for it, they fought for it, fought for it. We, we didn't feel like we really even needed that that in there. It wasn't something that, you know, we loved the idea of it, but it was just, again, one more human subplot was going to weigh it down. And, it, and they're just, I think the whole movie only had like a 40-day schedule. So it's just like when you have it, that little amount of time to to spend it on on trying to craft something really good out of something that you kind of feel isn't probably going to end up in the final edit it'd be frustrating but yeah that that whole sequence it was like them kind of hiding and kind of outsmarting um the pred alien and getting away from her and then they ended up getting in a car and i think they were in the car with um maybe the other pizza guy the pizza boss um who then showed up in the in the truck in the finished cut but for some reason they they or maybe they just got into a car themselves but they were in a car uh and kendra was just driving the car and the car all of a sudden came up to them once they were at the striker tank and an alien was on the roof like an alien attacked them and was on the roof and so she had to turn swerve the car the alien and the stuntman in the alien suit fell off of the front of the car and rolled onto the street. And then um, Kelly turned around with the 50 cal and just blew it to shit. They reused some of that footage for the Coast Guard scene, didn't they? Not Coast Guard, National Guard, sorry. They might have used some of it when, like, um, then the, when they're driving and uh, and and he's and it doesn't Dallas like shoot it a few times. I felt like there were there was definitely like a, a few reaction shots that they use but like it, it it was a cool uh a cool moment for her and it was a great shot so of course it's going to end up in the trailer but um like Kendra and Curtis are in the striker tank during that end scene when she's saying I think that colonel's lying they're in that <laughs> that whole entire scene the two actors are there we just never cut to the angle so that's how like you know excised they are from the movie I think they ended up going to um Gilliam Circle with the sheriff, and uh, and so they they blew up with the with the bomb at the end. But yeah, so that's kind of the biggest um, thing I can remember that was taken out. I feel like there was just a little bit more ambiance. Like there's there's a there's a rushed vibe to some of it. There was more stuff that felt like in the hospital. That but maybe that's all just in my head because I was there. Yeah, I don't think if there's anything. I know there was the there was the school scene which was made fun of in the Anna Cool News review, where the teacher writes like survival of the fittest and stuff. Uh, I, I think they had something like that. Oh yeah, somebody's somebody's credited as the as the school teacher. Yeah, we we definitely filmed that. And then I, I mean, seeing the unrated cut, the 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 cemetery sequence is that in the theatrical where the guy gets his head blown off? No. Okay. Which is just that, you know, at least like he gets his head blown off. <laughs> yeah, that uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that 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 is not within the uh, the unrated, but the, definitely the biggest one would be that Kendra Curtis subplot. I feel bad for those kids not getting to see themselves in the movie. You know, I know having filmed all that. But and she had just come off the 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 actress that we cast as Kendra just come off a movie with Ryan Gosling called Half Nelson. Uh, and so she was a, a fairly acclaimed actress. Um, but so I think she got paid pretty well. So don't feel too bad. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you actually got to see the finished film then? You know, was was it a premiere? And, and no, did, did Requiem get a premiere? 
No, it's to get a premiere. Um, it was like, yeah, it was at the Fox lot, you know, kind of a friends and family type screening. And I think this is this kind of goes in with the with some of the stuff we'll, we'll be talking about in the next few questions. It's just like, you know, when you see rough cuts of movies, they're so rough and, you know, without sound and music and VFX and everything, it's like to get through it all the way to the end, you're like so much happier with the movie than where you started. You know, it's never as bad as that first cut. So I think, it, you know, by the time you're finally seeing the end, you're very relieved that it, that it, that it even looks like a movie. <laughs> so, so there's definitely like, uh, you know, we, we, I remember feeling pretty good and, and pretty proud of, of all of the work that we put into it and, and how much better it was kind of flowing than it had in, in kind of previous cuts. And, uh, and it seemed to be playing decently. So I think there was, um, you know, there was a feeling that it was going to do better than it ended up doing for sure. And it was kind of clear from the original trailer that the color correction was altered, which many accused the final film of being too dark in theaters. And, and even when I've seen it on the Blu-ray and in home release, it looks dark compared to that first trailer. It is. So, so what do you think the odds are? I'm guessing pretty low, but of seeing a re-release of the film with the correct color grading and, and maybe a little more special features with the deleted scenes of those scenes that, that weren't used. I mean, that I think it all comes down to just, you know, being interest. I, I actually thought for the 10th anniversary that we should go to Fox and, and, and talk to him about it. But, you know, the brothers weren't as uh, receptive to it. But yeah, I, I mean, now with like, I have a, I have a pretty new TV. I bought it a year ago and uh, that, you know, I normally shut everything off, but if you put the uh, advanced contrast thing way up and put the brightness up, it looked pretty good last night. Um, sometimes be, they, the, within the scenes, you'll get this weird sort of, Instagram-y vibe <laughs> when you're watching it. But, I mean, yeah, for me, I'd, I'd seen the movie that Daniel Pearl shot like 45 times in different cuts, and then um, to have that end color grade just kind of go with such a, a dark overall look, it was definitely disappointing and felt like it, it was it was like insult to injury to have something that we knew that, th- that that part looked good and that was at least, you know, that was taken care of, and to have it just fall on the side of that too dark and have that become you know this this big controversy was it was definitely disappointing i'd love to see it it it, it's 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 actually kind of a slight adjustment you can kind of see how in in just a few places in if you're you know if you're working on uh, the wrong calibration uh for your di or whatever this the 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 situation that uh, you know just a little bit here and just a little bit there can kind of put you on the other side of those things I just thought the colors looked perfectly fine in that first trailer, so it's it's just confusing to me why they felt the need to change it. Wasn't there supposedly two different copies of the film, one with the correct color grading and one with the wrong? I remember reading Colin or someone saying this, and one went to the left coast and one went to the right coast, and somehow the wrong one ended up getting printing for DVD or something like that. Is there any truth to that? It sounds familiar, and I think they, they probably... I mean, they definitely know more about that than I did because I wasn't in the DI with them or anything like that. Back then, I had very little technical, you know, expertise. Some would say I still don't. But uh, so I was uh, the the last thing in the world they would ask me my opinion on when I'm 24 years old would be, you know, DI because they're 
very specific um, about what they wanted to do. What they generally lament was that they feel like the um, the facility where they, they did the DI, uh, the monitors were not accurate to what, what they ended up seeing. And that, that it was obviously, you know, it's an alien predator movie. It's a dark movie. But um, there was more contrast and, and more gamma than what ended up in the movie. You and uh, Colin and I suppose uh, Greg to some extent were fairly active online leading up to Reckham's release. It was fucking awesome having direct communication with you guys making the film. But it all sort of blew up in everybody's face after the film came out and the reaction was so negative. So much so that I, I was quite frankly honestly surprised about your willingness to come and talk to us on this podcast. Do you think that kind of direct communication was actually such a good thing? I think it was a good thing, and I think it's it's been a good thing for me um, on Beyond Skyline as well, uh, Skyline as well. And I think it came from the right place and the right intentions. And I think it just ultimately goes all the way back to the beginning of what the main problem with the movie is is just the concept. But yeah, I think it was all kind of paved with the right intentions of us like wanting to hear what the fans wanted kind of going back to that Fox versus Marvel back then, like I think it was the right idea to try to hear what 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 everyone was, you know, kind of looking for in an Alien versus Predator movie and 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 immerse yourself in the uh, around the people that love it more than anything else. Um, so I feel like we, you know, it definitely was was uh, I was kind of in there, I think, the most. And Colin uh, would pop in from time to time. Greg definitely was never on there. He would just he would he would like to like he would read stuff and 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 ask what people were thinking. And the IMDb boards were really active too at the time. I remember spent a lot of time on that. And so some of that was probably a waste of some of my time. But at the same time, I was 24 and you know having a good time with it. <laughs> You know, I was like, uh, you know, I think, I think being that kind of, uh, like I said, immersed in in, in that in the fandom is what you kind of want to do. There's an element though, where now, okay, now the movie's out. You guys have the reaction to it. Like, even if the reaction is super positive, you can't just like kind of keep sitting there basking on these message boards for the rest of your life. You have to go and make something else. So I think there was a there's a natural kind of um, you know cycle to it in any case. Right. Okay, I'm with you on that one. And I, what you were saying about uh, surprise about the willingness, well, I honestly, it's just time. Time heals all wounds, you know. Like it, it's super. Um, it's it, it's just, it's just a really intense process to make a movie, like uh, any type of movie, um, even if it's even if no one sees it, and you know, getting negative reactions to it can just be totally soul crushing and. You kind of have to just lock yourself away for a little bit and wick your wounds. But now, like nine years later, you know, I, I it, it's like another lifetime. It's like seeing the movie, What you know, last night was like seeing it for the first time in a lot of ways, except weird lines of dialogue are like burned into my gray matter. We'll be like, Ricky, get her in there. Get her in. And like for some reason, that's just like I, I just started. I would just start calling things out loud, like get her in in, a, in the exact weird tone and cadence of everything so yeah it, it, it to me it, it kind of made sense i saw you guys something you guys posted kind of popped back up on my twitter feed i think alec gillis posted something and i was like oh you know i should reach out to those guys you know i i, I think it'd be fun um you know because i'm just did this movie with practical suits 
and uh, they're fairly obviously influenced by the alien and predator design. So I think it'd be kind of cool. It's been 10 years. Like, let's let's talk about AVPR. I'm glad you did reach out. We did toy with the idea of actually getting in touch with Colin, but I was like, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't think that's such a good idea. <laughs> I think it'd be fine. I mean, uh, honestly, like he's he's in a great place right now. Um, he's working on Rampage. Um, he's he's kind of become um, Dwayne Johnson, Brad Payton's kind of go-to visual effects supervisor on these massive movies, and uh, he's he's really enjoying himself. Good. Now, I did want to ask you a little bit about. Uh, what came after EVPR. So, you know, you, you were pretty tight with the Strauss brothers and, you know, where you were working with them on a creative capacity on the film and you went on to write their next film, Skyline. Now, the brothers weren't too shy about talking, uh, telling people that they had ideas for a third AVP. So I was wondering how involved you were with their efforts for a potential third film. Yeah, I I, it's, I completely forgot about this. But yeah, I, I wrote an AVP3 treatment in the trailer for uh on set for avp2 god i'm trying to remember exactly what it was i believe it was set in africa that was that that was one and then like towards the end though you know we started toying with uh, yeah this this was a modern day no i think it might have even been a little bit in the future damn i should have actually tried to look at that again but yeah it was it was uh you know trying to again move into a more exotic location and I can I kind of remember um, something about dinosaurs. Well, no, I remember well that too. But I remember hearing about the the space jockeys were going to have some kind of a role in it before Scott did what he did with that. I remember just seeing like concept for a king alien, right? And that I think that's what you guys are talking about. Colin mentioned or Greg, you know I'm terrible with names. One of them mentioned something in a newspaper article over here, a newspaper interview about going to fuck it let me see if i can find it going to um the alien home world or something they'd have these fucking dinosaur sized dinosaur sized aliens that the that preds are trying to capture so that that was kind of like a concept less than a story that was like they you know even towards the end we we're like oh okay what are, you know is there some cool thing we can do as like a post credit scene I think X-Men The Last Stand had just done the, they'd done like two or three post-credit scenes. It was kind of one of the the first ones that did that. There was a, we did a concept piece of like a king alien that looked kind of like a dinosaur. And it wasn't necessarily to be like taken as a literal king alien, but just like, what would that, something big and cool. And so, yeah, they started kind of brainstorming off of that, but I don't think there was ever any real um, treatment or anything done for that. So I just, opened up a folder that was January 11th, 2007. (laughs) And it says AVP3 pitch. It was set two decades after the last film. The world's moved on towards a uh, unified hegemonic federation dominated by Weyland-Yutani. They've developed new space travel tech based on the plasma tech and the Predator gun at the end of AVP. B2, AVP2. They're now able to travel enormous distances in space and there's plans for colonization. The only problem is that the fuel for this plasma tech is based on a rare mineral found only in the southern part of Africa. It's the world's last free continent. It's filled with intense civil strife. Uh, last bastion of independence from this corporate hegemony. 
rebels and foreigners have flocked there looking to uh, withstand the globalization. Uh, global warming has thrown the entire uh, climate into chaos. Polar regions are melting, decreasing the landmass. Africa is searing with an intense, unfor unforgiving heat. So our heroes consist of a native South African named Kembe, who's a tribal leader of a small village of people, a beautiful UN peacekeeper named uh, Rena, and finally a rebel leader from the former UK named Devlin. He runs a rebel training camp near the native's village, and they have an uneasy relationship, blah, blah, blah. So that's like my the, the first kind of setup for what it would be. Definitely futuristic. Wow, that's interesting. I, can't, I, I can't believe I even just read that out loud. <laughs> pre-read it because they, I, I this is something that uh yeah came out of the came out of this the like uh you know probably influenced by avp galaxy like trying to do something that was more in line with what the rest of the franchise was i remember hearing that idea somewhere that like since the united states nuked a city and its borders they kind of used that as like a somehow twist the story and did a cover-up and declared martial law or something like that and then it, it would kind of move to this corporate controlled society not too far in the future. I remember hearing about that idea somewhere. I can't remember where, but yeah. So it just seemed like, uh, you know, I, there, there was all very short lived. So that would be like January and you know, we're, we're in post and you know, there was some fun stuff to be had with like, like you're saying animals getting, um, you know, you, you've got, you've got lions and tigers and, or I guess not tigers, but lions and stuff like that. So there was a lot of fun jungle battles and uh and like the serengeti and stuff like that so that was that was an idea but it didn't really get anywhere but the the stuff that they were kind of talking at the time was, was not that pitch it was more just like they were thinking more predator homeworld colony special ops team armed with predator guns trying to fight fight back sort of deal and that was as a post-credit kind of thing no that would have been like i think because the predator homeworld came in during post right like just that that extra setup and shot was was not you know the, before in the script the the wolf just kind of showed up yeah, yeah with the cleaner thing so once the predator homeworld came in then it was like okay well everybody wants to see space again if you do an AVP three it's got to be in space and you know Greg Collin wanted to do you know a special ops team with Marines so that that became kind of the like the nickel pitch of what it would have been, but no one, uh, no one really, you know, put pen to paper on that version. And uh, you went on to work on Skyline after Requiem, and now you've written and directed the sequel, Beyond Skyline, which we've seen some really good reviews for. Uh, Den of Geek really loved it. Uh, can you tell us about your work on the Skyline series? And I mean, going from the response that Requiem and the first Skyline had to to this kind of praise must be pretty damn cool. Did you find yourself learning from the mistakes of those two films when making beyond skyline uh thanks yeah it's 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 definitely been uh definitely been a journey um and yeah i mean i think you you learn from from anything that you do and in, in each each one of the movies it's kind of like um you know just it's a it's a part of your dna at that point and um the lessons that you take you know carry over onto the next one skyline was one of those ones that like after avp we did just doing a ton of pitches on on studio projects and getting frustrated and wanting to just make something ourselves. What what I took away from it though is I felt like we we kind of just did 
the story was just so based on the location that we had, which was Greg's penthouse and his building that I didn't feel like I, I really had the chance to like let the imagination run wild. And, and it, it came together so quickly that it didn't feel like, you know, the same, it's not the same process of just sitting down and being like, what's the best version of the story that I can make. Um, it was like, okay, well we have a parking garage, we have this pool deck, we have a helipad, you know, let's, you know, piece this all together right into your resources right and 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 some of that is cool and i think it's a good exercise especially when you're starting out um to do that because it it eventually is going to get that way once you're in production but you know sometimes you kind of it feels like we 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 kind of stunted ourselves from the get-go because it's like well it has to go there and i feel like the thing in that movie that is a little bit similar to the the pacing in in um in AVPR that gets frustrating is like AVPR feels like the first act stretches on for 50 minutes. And in um, Skyline, it feels like the first act builds pretty nicely and you get everybody into this Ferrari and you want to get out of the building. And then, you know, it, you get a nice cool kill where the Ferrari gets smashed and then they kind of go back up to the apartment and the movie dies there. You know, like I, I saw it, you know, with audiences and that's where people just go, Oh, that you're you have that low of a budget huh <laughs> you know <laughs> so that's where i was like oh you know man they, they should have had to like you know go in the sewers and try to you know get over to the marina that way and just get out of the building at that point but we had already in our heads had so much stuff that was going to happen on the rooftop that we knew that was going to had to be an element somehow so it, on that kind of just that version of storytelling, like just that macro pacing, um, structural storytelling in, in Beyond Skyline, I was like, I never want to go back. I want this whole movie to be super propulsive and like it always moving forward and like always burning the bridges behind the characters so that they 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 can never really go back or have any chance to do that and that they're just like constantly getting pushed further and further into the deep end and, and having to swim their way out. Um, so that, that was kind of the, the main, like, you know, um, dogma for me, like going in, it's like, I, you know, and, and, and again, I, I was like, I'm not going to write to any sort of resources yet. I just want to tell the coolest version of this story that I can. And then obviously once we get into production I'm, and, uh, I have to make it realistic, you know? So there was, there's a little bit more of a natural um, development where, you know, the first draft is like just a mess and it's too big and it's too crazy and you keep paring it down and paring it down and, and coming up with better ideas um, and, and fresher ideas. You know, the Skyline, um, Beyond Skyline starts in, in L.A. at the same time as the first movie. And I really had it like line up pretty well with continuity. But the first movie takes place over three days and it just felt too long of a first act so i i kind of said the hell with it and condensed all the events into one day in beyond skyline now they're underground and you can kind of make it line up in your head but that that's a little bit of that sort of like i think me at 24 would not have been able to let that go and i think i would have tried to make it 100 percent fit into continuity instead of just tell the most entertaining story i could so th I think sometimes those are a little bit of the things that you realize, like, you know, where where to hold on and where to let go of stuff. Um, but the, the real synthesis is definitely, you know, the first the first Skyline was like kind of a showreel for hydraulics visual effects. So there wasn't going to be any practical creatures at all. 
And in this one, I knew the aliens had played a bigger part. They're, they're on screen like a lot. And uh, to have them be fully CG the whole time was just not, you know, feasible budget wise. And also I, I kind of missed it, you know, from the first one I wanted to, to be able to bring practical creatures back into it somehow. And we've been developing a project with Alec Gillis to direct um, around 2011 to 2013, uh, which ultimately, um, you know, never got off the ground, but it was, it was close for a few times. And uh, so I had a real itch to, to kind of, you know, work with practical creatures again. Did ADI do the, the suit work for you? No, we, we talked to them about it, but we ended up going with um, a guy who's worked at ADI and he's worked at Legacy. He's kind of worked everywhere. His name's Alan Holt. And Alan was a, recommended to me by a friend. And he's, you know, he, he had just come off of Winter Soldier and he loved the, you know, this idea. And he basically said, like, you know, I don't have a company but I will create one for you for this movie and I'll do it cheaper than anyone else. And it's going to be awesome work because, you know, all these people are, are my friends and they all want to do something cool. And so he really, you know, what he did for me and what he did for this movie is like insane amount of work and, 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 and heart that uh, I think shows up on, on screen with these designs. We ended up working with um, a designer named Keith Christensen and he, he's kind of from the same world and he loves the alien and the predator. And so I would, we could speak the same exact language about the different elements that we wanted to draw from the biggest kind of influence from predator in it is not there. There's a little bit of mandibles on the face, but it, it's more that like at the end of the first movie um, spoiler, if you haven't seen it, but the, the, the lead character turns into one. his brain is ripped out and it's put into one of these aliens and he's able to resist it. And so but the, the design of it was so kind of bug-like and, um, and sort of tragic and like asymmetrical and weird. And I felt like I wanted it to be more of a predator design because a predator design can be scary and intimidating, but there's something heroic about them naturally, right? Like we it, being turned into – if your brain got ripped out, would you rather be put into a bug or would you rather be put into a predator? Well, Predator, you're still kind of a superhero in a way, you know? So that that was a little bit of that, of, and I, people noticed that with like the shoulder and the, the muscular kind of build and the sinew and the, the chest plate and everything is is more that of like, if, if I'm going to kill a character, or not kill a character, but take a character that, um, you know, that hopefully the audience likes and put his brain into one of these creatures, I don't want it to be so sad and tragic i wanted to have some element of of fun to it they're like okay well yeah it sucks that you're not human anymore but you can still kick ass so that was kind of the you know one of one of the 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 principles behind the uh the practical suits the other one was the eyes of of kind of making them a little bit more um emotive yeah because they were going to have so many scenes with actors i needed them to kind of be able to to play off of them and and so it's a practical suit with cgi's put in we'd have led lights uh and the cg is kind of put over where the led is um but we put in kind of blinks and movements so it ends up being a nice pairing i think i wish more people would do it because it just seems like it's feast or famine with practical effects like they'll just you know they'll they'll do all practical or it's just fully CG everything, and uh, you know the the mix works really well. 
Was a sequel always planned, or or did it take a little while for it to materialize? Um, it was kind of in the, in the post of Skyline. They people asked, but like you know, definitely wasn't planned from the beginning. And so there was a moment where we're like, well, maybe we should set up the sequel. We should have um, what the Mark and Trent character, which Mark is the lead. He's the police officer who bails his son out of jail. Uh, we should see them going into the subway at the beginning of Skyline and set it up, but. That you know, it, it wouldn't have ma- meant anything to anyone to to do that at the time. But we were really kind of interested in sort of seeding it in that post. Uh, the movie came out, and it was again fairly mixed to negative um, reception. But it relativity really loved it, and they pushed it really hard. And that big push, you know, gave us a pretty decent uh, world uh, worldwide box office numbers. It took loads to a little budget, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, yes, but they spent so much PA that kind of becomes your budget in a way. So with this little movie then has this big budget, at least in the domestic territories. Now overseas, they just kind of, you know, benefit from all that PA that they're doing in the States. Um, and so th- it drove up these numbers in all these different territories. So that kind of sat around for like two years where we, we wrote the treatment before the movie came out. And um but then once, you know, it came out, the, the, the calls it kind of went dead. It felt like it wasn't going to happen for about two years. And then, like, you know, it's just like I was saying uh, about before how, like, time heals the wounds. Like, I think it was – it went – it was around 2013 that the movie played on – it finally ended its streaming contracts because we had one of the early um, – Relativity had one of the early streaming contracts with Netflix – where their movies around 2010 skipped HBO and TV and went right to Netflix. So, you know, it was out in the theaters, it had its Blu-ray DVD window, and then it went right on streaming for like a two and a half year stay. And so I didn't, I don't think I watched it until from, you know, once the blue came out, I watched the blue with the commentary with Josh and we laughed about that. And then we didn't, uh, I didn't watch it again until 2013 where it aired. It's either Spike or Sci-Fi. And seeing it on TV, it just kind of like seemed to work pretty well with the with the commercial breaks, and uh, and people were kind of tweeting along with me for it, and I, I I just had fun again. It was like I, I got away from all of the the negativity, and I was like, these aliens are cool. There's something I could do with this, you know. Um, I would I'd kill to make this sequel. I should try to make this sequel, and so that that's when I kind of decided that like, all right, if I'm gonna write it and put all this energy in it, I, I think it, it, I should try to direct. And so I was actually attached to write a bigger movie that was at um, IMAX and Warner Brothers with Greg and Colin. And they wanted to bring in, you know, a more studio friendly writer. And so uh, I used that as leverage and said, <laughs> yeah, you, you guys go ahead and do that. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and write Skyline 2 then. But if I write it, can I direct it? And they're like, yeah, 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 sure. Go ahead. Like, I don't think anyone thought that it was really going to happen. And then, you know, I did a, the first draft was was way too expensive and and kind of crazy. And it it wasn't I wasn't thinking like a director yet at all because um, it, it ended again in a big city battle. And I was like, once I started really thinking more visually, like, OK, well, this movie starts in a city then you go in a ship like we need to come up with some fresh imagery and do something unexpected or else, you know, you're going to cut a trailer and it's all going to look like one place. Um, so then I, I kind of 
came up with this um well, we came up with this jungle and uh and ruins ending which then uh, again uh, maybe maybe predator seeing that as my first r-rated movie it's just burned into my gray matter but yeah that that all kind of uh somehow fit together and so that's due out as of recording in a couple of weeks right that's right in the uk and the u.s it's um It'll be in theaters in the UK too. It's like a it's like a limited release there too. It'll be in, in the big cities and uh, but all VOD, uh, iTunes, uh, Amazon Prime platforms and stuff like that. And I just got done with like two months of, uh, of festivals. I've seen it nine times with audiences and uh, still like it. So mm-hmm. that was a good sign. And uh, what's what's up next on the agenda for you? I'm currently writing Skyline Three. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> it, but again, it's, it's I take that all with a grain of salt, uh, especially before a movie kind of came out. Um, but I've already written two different projects um, that are, are that I'm working on right now. One of them is called The Last Savage, which is a kind of a, after doing a little bit of martial arts in Beyond Skyline because you know we shot in Indonesia. And uh, Eco Wise and Yan Ruin from The Raid and The Raid 2, you know, happened to be available. And, you know, they asked if they could choreograph fights. And I was like, yes, you can. And we ended up adding like about four fight scenes into the movie. And I, I really fell in love with um, with directing martial arts. And I was like, all right. So when I was over there, I, I, I was like, I got I to come up with a martial arts movie from the ground up. But it's got to, you know, fit within my wheelhouse and so i came up with this movie and it's it's pretty much like a post-apocalyptic sort of tarzan film at the beginning we have a kid wash up on this uh on this empty island uh, jungle everything's dead there's been some mysterious cataclysm and uh he he's almost killed by the tigers there he's eventually raised by them we see him as an adult and then all of a sudden these hunters come they kill his family they capture him and they bring him to what we see as now the post-apocalyptic society built up on top of skyscrapers in the middle of the ocean, and they force them to fight in these vertical arenas, and so and and they all get kind of post-apocalyptic mods and stuff like that. So it's it's definitely like uh, you know a batshit amalgamation of of things I love, which I think you could say the same uh, uh, up for Beyond Skyline, but uh, taking that to um, Macau project market next week actually so i'm really excited about that one but but what about avp3 when's that coming <laughs> i don't know now that you made me open up avp3 i'm gonna just start ringing some numbers like, post-apocalyptic africa wow i can't believe yeah i oh wait i just looked at an alien spawned from a lion yep jungle battle what else do we have here safari battle why not hive battle predators fighting the queen spaceship battle final battle was in the spaceship and yep oh sp- space jockeys biomechanoid machinery grabs and contains the queen chestburster oh <laughs> shit <laughs> i would absolutely love to see it and i was kind of good we didn't get it in covenant is um a hived up sort of jungle environment yep that'd be badass yeah no for sure then so much of that hive stuff is like um you know, like I was saying about the sets in uh, in Beyond Skyline, like like just so much you can just do with liquid latex, twisting it, pulling it, stretching it, and covering it with slime. It's genius. Yeah, and I do think that Hive in the hospital set in AVPR was really looked awesome. Like the best a Hive had looked since the second film, Aliens. They did a ton of work on it. Um, they carved all of that out of styrofoam. Yeah, I remember that. It's like 
it's stuff like that, like that those scenes just not longer, obviously. And then once you're in that finishing stretch of the edit, it's all about just like trying to make everything as airtight as possible. Before we do sign off, because this is, we're actually all out of questions now. And uh, I think I've kept you far longer than I was expecting to. But before we do disappear, is there anything that you'd like to share? Any anecdotes, any stories, any thoughts that we just haven't given you the opportunity to say? No, I mean, I, I, I guess I just say, you know, thank you to you guys, you know, one for having me on, but two for creating ABP Galaxy. I, I just remember all the interactions with guys like Sill back in the day. I made sure to ask him if he had anything uh, he wanted me to ask you, actually. He's, he's a smart guy. I remember him. I remember um, I remember going through and just, you know, it, it, it was a good, it was a good uh, fertile, you know, playground for people kind of explaining why they loved the things they loved. And uh, I think it's cool that it, it still exists and good for you guys for, for keeping it going this long. Thank you. We, we actually just hit our 15th anniversary last month, I think. Wow. Yeah. Been around a goddamn while. <laughs> and that, and you got now in Shane Black's, the predator is, is coming up. So there's still, there's, it's still happening, which is amazing because for a while there, the, the the saddest feeling about the AVPR release was like, did we just kill our two favorite creatures? <laughs> Are they not going to make movies about them anymore because of this? That was kind of I, I remember that um, maybe alcohol infused thought of just being like, uh, did I just destroy the two things in the world I love the most? Um, and you know, obviously, giving myself way too much credit for it, but there was that that sadness, and so. Well, I remember when Prometheus was coming out, I might even tweeted like, you know, if AVP2 is a huge success, this would not be happening right now. You know, there would have been a there would have been an AVP3, and who knows if uh, if Ridley never came back. So, in some ways, you're welcome. If you like Prometheus, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I'm still holding out hope for that uh, future-bound AVP3 spaceships and zero gravity predators and aliens i think that could that could happen eventually we've seen you know enough reboots now that i think that could all make sense well we'll, we'll see when it comes under the disney banner what's going to happen then oh man. is that for sure happening it's been rumored yeah did you see the new news today no okay so the news was when the news came out apparently the talks had all stalled and gone quiet and blah 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 blah, blah. but um some stuff came out that um they weren't quite as dead as we believed, and uh, Disney were pretty aggressively charging on with um, trying to buy all the entertainment stuff. Yeah, I think I think they won Avatar. I mean, they did the same thing with Star Wars. They had the the Star Wars in their theme parks, and now they have the big Avatar thing in Florida, and and now they just want that franchise. Plus X Men as well, and the original Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, next. I get I get why people are excited about it for those different reasons, but like I don't know, as as a filmmaker, it's like it's just one less buyer, and that 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 sucks. Especially one of the, as big as and powerful as Fox, like you just want as many different you know people out there that could buy your material and distribute it. So this kind of encroaching monopoly stuff is it's not really good for the creative side yeah i i agree with you there and and i honestly as a fan i i hope it doesn't happen because i don't know how committed disney would be to 
the Alien and Predator franchises if it did. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to say. Obviously, Disney's doing an incredible job, and I mean, it looks like they kind of are like they're like a mega studio with all these little studios under them, right? Like Lucasfilm is its own studio for all intents and yeah. purposes. Marvel's its own studio. Pixar's its own studio. So, who knows? It may be better, but it is just kind of like it is concerning. You know, like I, I, I liked it back when we used to have a lot of different buyers and now it seems like the list is getting smaller and smaller. So that that'd be a bummer. And I would never want to have the logo for 20th Century Fox go away. That would make me sad. Whenever I think of Alien, I always think of that the Alien 3 fanfare. Yep. Just that fanfare is just always in my mind with those. It, it would be immensely weird for it to move away. But with how... Uh, not so universally loved the last um, bunch of films have been a part of me kind of feels like maybe it would be a good thing to have a fresh set of um, you know execs looking over it sure I mean that kind of happens anyway though right like that happens just in the natural life cycle of a studio like there's nobody there from when we made AVPR left like it's all completely different people and Davis is still there isn't he Oh, but he's he's a, John Davis is a producer. He's not like uh, he's an independent producer. He's not actually the like studio executive. Right, right, right. And John Davis was uh, is super great guy. By the way, I, I he he was um, he actually attached to the first script I wrote after AVPR, and we took that around town. Yeah, I mean he was he was pre- he was not the interfering sort of dude. He's he's very hands off and supportive. So. He seems very enthusiastic as well. Yeah. yeah he's he's producing the new Predator film too, isn't he? Yeah, that that's what made me think of it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, John's a good guy. Well, yeah, thank you again. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I think we did it. <laughs> made it through. Anything else from the movie that uh, to take away? But no, that was... That was fun. It was fun to watch it again last night. It was a lot of fun talking to you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. Uh, Like I said earlier, it was in celebration of the 10th anniversary of uh, Requiem, and it is actually our last one for 2017, barring any unforeseen mega news that might come out. Uh, So yeah, that's it. Um, As always, um, you can find us on the various socials on Facebook, we are Alien vs. Predator Galaxy, vs as in vs dot, on Twitter we are at AVP Galaxy, and if you'd rather just look at pretty pictures rather than some of the links that we share, you can follow us on Instagram at Alien vs Predator Galaxy. If you want to find out a little bit more about me, uh, you can follow me personally at uh, on Twitter at underscore Corporal Hicks. And that's AVP, Natter, Airsoft Natter, general sci-fi nerding out, that kind of stuff. Uh, Ridgetop, do you want to uh, share your... Yeah, or... if if uh, anyone wants to follow me personally on Twitter, uh, it's just Ridgetop21. Uh, I, I post a lot of Alien and Predator stuff, but also just general sci-fi tech and, and things of that nature. Um, Liam, where can uh, folk find you online if they want to come and cyberstalk you? Uh, I'm at, on, on Twitter, um, Liam, O-D-I-N, at... Uh, it's at Liam O-D-I-N. That's same for Instagram, where I, I post a lot of um, behind-the-scenes stuff on, uh, for, for Beyond Skyline. And then um, our Facebook page is um, hashtag Beyond – not hashtag, backslash. Uh, it's Facebook backslash Beyond Skyline Film. And that is out on the 15th? December 15th. Yeah. So uh, VOD and uh, selected cinemas, yeah? 
That's right. That's right. So go watch it, guys. Let us know what you think. If you have any questions about AVPR or anything that you think we've missed or any expansions on what we've talked about today, please feel free to throw them up and I'll see if I can uh, entice Crom to come back on and uh, answer a few. Crom. <laughs> I love I loved the name so much that I got a dog around the same time and I named my dog Crom. So it never left. It never left me. Dog's still alive. So dog came after after Requiem, did it? Yeah, well, it's all from from Conan, uh, the Barbarian, uh, and so it's all just another one of my nerdy uh, obsessions. Brilliant. Uh, This is Corporal Hicks. And Ridgetop. And Crom. Signing off.